Welcome to today's segment in the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and it's my pleasure to serve as your tour guide as we read through the Bible together. Today is March 10th, and I would like to give a shout out to our eldest son, Jonathan McAdam, as today is his birthday, and it's a great joy to have him and his family sharing the adventure of knowing Christ and making him known to all kinds of people and to every generation. Today we are reading some dramatic portions of Scripture. First, the failure of the people of Israel to persevere in faith due to the hardening of their hearts. And then we have the failure of the disciples of Jesus, as Peter denies that he knows him, and they all forsake him as Jesus is arrested, unjustly tried, and crucified. We learn, however, that failure is not the end of the story. As the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, John Newton, said, We are great sinners, but we have a great Savior. So we praise the name of Jesus, our Deliverer, our Savior, our Lord, our King. Let's begin our reading in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, to the third and the fourth generation. Please, 
pardon the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number, listed in the census from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land, died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went out to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly, and they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them, even to Hormah. Chapter 15 Laws About Sacrifices The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, 
When you come into the land, you are to inhabit, which I am giving you, and you offer to the Lord from the herd or from the flock a food offering or a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering or at your appointed feasts to make a pleasing aroma to the Lord, then he who brings his offering shall offer to the Lord a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil. And you shall offer with the burnt offering or for the sacrifice a quarter of a hin of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. Or for a ram you shall offer for a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a third of a hin of oil. And for the drink offering you shall offer a third of a hin of wine, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And when you offer a bull as a burnt offering or sacrifice to fulfill a vow or for peace offerings to the Lord, then you shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a half a hin of oil. And you shall offer for the drink offering half a hin of wine as a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thus it shall be done for each bull or ram or for each lamb or young goat. As many as you offer, so shall you do with each one, as many as there are. Every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, in offering a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger is sojourning with you, or anyone is living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly there shall be one statute for you, and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. This concludes the reading of God's Word in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Today's reading marks a dramatic turning point in the history of the people of Israel in the wilderness. It is the day when the Lord pronounced chastisement upon the entire generation of those over 20 years of age, apart from Joshua and Caleb, and pledges that they shall not enter into the promised land. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor any of those who spurned me to see it in Numbers 14, verses 22 to 23. The account of this incident is given by the psalmist centuries later and picked up again in the New Testament book of Hebrews. The psalmist signals and the writer of Hebrews proclaim that there is a present danger of hardening your heart to the Lord that can keep us from a promised rest in Christ. That rest is greater than the one promised in the conquest of Canaan. In Psalm 95, 11, Therefore I swore in my anger, Truly, they shall not enter into my rest. Referring to this very incident in Numbers chapter 14. In Hebrews 3 verse 12, Take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. This is the tenth incident that provoked the Lord's anger. The number ten represents the completion of judgment in Scripture. 
We have seen this in the ten plagues that fell upon Egypt in judgment for Pharaoh's hardness of heart. The Ten Commandments reflect the judicially complete claim upon Israel that pronounced all guilty and in need of redemption. The judgment of the flood came with Noah, the tenth patriarch. Let's review the ten incidents that angered the Lord. Number one, at the Red Sea in Exodus 14.11. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The second provocation is Exodus chapter 15, verse 24, at Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And then thirdly, at the desert of Sin, in Exodus 16, 3, the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the fourth provocation is their disobedience in collecting manna in Exodus 16.20. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. Fifthly, there was the collecting of manna on the Sabbath in Exodus 16, verses 27 to 29. It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remember, every man in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. Provocation number six was the complaining against God for lack of water at Rephidim, renamed Massa and Meribah in Exodus 17, verse 2 and 3. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? The seventh provocation was worshiping the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 to 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from, out from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Provocation number eight was complaining at Taborah in Numbers 11, verses 1 and 2. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. Provocation number nine was complaining about lack of meat in Numbers 11.4. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? And then provocation number ten found here in Numbers chapter 14, where they failed to trust God about the promised land. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, 
or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. The report of the ten spies radically changed the perspective of the congregation of Israel in the wilderness to the degree that they wanted to go back to Egypt. Fear gripped their ability to reason. Grumbling spread throughout the camp. The purpose and work of God was called into question. Moses and Aaron are considered guilty of misleading them. Soon the whole congregation forgets the great event of the Passover, which they had significantly commemorated months before, and they regret having ever eaten the divinely ordained meal and taken the journey. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Numbers chapter 14, verse 3. The Lord takes note of their words. Does fear ever cause your recollection of God's promises and provisions in your life to vaporize? Have you stood in fear before problems that outsize you and watch them grow into formidable giants? Be careful not to allow fear to revise your history, paralyze your present, and retreat from what God has promised in your future. Like Caleb and Joshua, learn to see every difficulty in the light of God's faithful presence. He is here, His power, He is able and His promises, He will bring you into your inheritance. With each complaint, the Israelites further shifted their gears from forward in faith to reverse in fear. As their distaste for life in the wilderness grew, so did their hunger for their recollections of the leeks and the cucumbers of their past. Soon their imaginations were on a sentimental journey to Egypt. Imagined pleasures overshadowed the reality of their former hardships. No one spoke of the scars on their backs from the cruel whips of their taskmasters. Life in Egypt was far better than this. God is blamed for their current conditions, and so are their leaders. They want to stone Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. They want to choose a new leader to take them back where they came from. The crowd was ready to stone their leaders, and would have done so had the glory of the Lord not intervened. At first, the Lord threatens to destroy all the people as one man for their sin of unbelief and start over with Moses as he did with Abraham and from him make a greater nation. Moses intercedes for the life of his people, that the Lord's name and power be vindicated among the nations. Moses makes his plea on the basis of the revelation of God's character in Exodus 34, verses 6-7, to 7, Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have also forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. But the Lord says something quite amazing, something that indicates that indeed Moses and the Lord did speak with one another as a man speaks with his friend. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word in Numbers 14:20. It is important to take God at His word, but also remember that He is ready to take us at our word. He forgives the sins of His people, yet chastises their unbelief. All those over twenty years old will not enter into the victorious possession of the promised land. They will perish in the wilderness. For each of the forty days of unbelief, when they spied out the promised land in the light of their fears instead of God's word, they would bear the guilt in a year of wandering in the wilderness. For forty years they would wander and know the Lord's opposition. The Lord also tells them that it would be as the people said. He was listening. 
They would fall in the wilderness, but not at the hands of the enemy as they expected. God would cause them to fall. But instead of their children being taken away from them as plunder, they would enter into the land. They would spend the rest of the forty years in the wilderness as shepherds on account of their father's sins. Judgment also fell on the ten spies who gave the evil report, all of whom died with the plague. On the next day, the people, grieving the news of God's punishment, want to make amends, courage, and enter into Canaan to face the giants. Moses tells them that their plan won't work. If they proceed in their own strength, they will be struck down by the Canaanites. They went without the Lord's permission, His presence, represented by the Ark of the Covenant, or His appointed leader, Moses, and they were defeated. The sad news is followed up by the good news that, yes, indeed, the people of Israel will inherit the promised land, and there God will be worshipped. Therefore, laws about sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord are spelled out. We also learn that there is one law of the land, both for the native-born Israelite and the sojourner. All were under the same Torah and able to bring pleasure to the Lord. If the alien continued to please God, he could become part of the community as a proselyte and learn to worship in the same manner as the native populace, according to the word of the Lord. And now our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning with verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, 
And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And this is the end of our New Testament reading from the Gospel of Mark. The Sanhedrin was the ruling body of 71 religious leaders in Jerusalem. They were so anxious to convict Jesus of a crime that they were searching for those who would testify against him. There were two interviews in Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. The first, held in the middle of the night, was illegal, as it was against their customs to try a person at night, in John chapter 18, verses 12 to 24. The second phase of the trial before the Sanhedrin was at daybreak, in Luke chapter 22, verses 66 to 71. The Sanhedrin were attempting to use the testimony that Jesus had claimed that he would destroy the temple at Jerusalem to condemn him to death. But the testimony was not consistent. In Mark 14, verse 59, Jesus did not threaten to destroy a temple made with hands, but pointed to another temple, the temple of his body, which would be killed and raised again. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In John's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 19, the high priest asked the big question, Are you the Christ? And Jesus said, I am and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven, in Mark 14.62. It was this admission that Jesus was the Christ that gave the priests the cause they were looking for to condemn him to death. They charged him with blasphemy for claiming to be the Son of God. Note that after Jesus is arrested, Peter denies Jesus three times as Jesus predicted. First, Peter denies Jesus to one of the servant girls while Peter is warming himself by the fire, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. Mark 14.68 Second, when the servant girl points out to bystanders on the porch that he is one of them, Peter denies it again in verse 70. And then thirdly, the bystanders accused him of being one of the disciples, and Peter begins to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about in verse 71. When the rooster crows the second time, Peter remembers that Jesus predicted Peter would deny him three times. Peter begins to weep. Earlier Jesus said, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. Mark 14, verse 30. God's mercy to Peter, which we shall see in his full restoration to being a faithful apostle of Christ, should be an encouragement to us all. Now our reading from the Psalms. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 6. There is none who does good to the choirmaster, according to Mahalath, a maskil of David. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon God? There they are, in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion, When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. The end of our reading from the book of Psalms. Psalm 53 echoes what we heard in Psalm 14, 
with some minor differences. Verse 6 of Psalm 14 is replaced with an addition to verse 5. It is made clear that people who were being put to shame were the afflicted counselors whom God had rejected. In Psalm 53, no longer do we read, God is with the righteous generation, which was in verse 5 of Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, verse 6, the psalmist used the tetragrammaton, Yahweh, Lord, referring to the covenant-keeping God who is deeply interested and involved in the welfare of His people. Yahweh is His refuge. However, in Psalm 53, the verse is changed. Instead of his name Yahweh that refers to the relational covenant-keeping God, the psalmist uses Elohim, the name of God that refers to his almighty power that sustains the universe. This suggests further spiritual declension among God's people. So Psalm 53 is a slightly expanded version of Psalm 14. The first verses in both psalms speak of the fool who claims to be an atheist. The Hebrew word used here for fool is nabal. It is not the word that is used of someone who is uneducated or stupid. It is a word that describes moral senselessness. It is not a lack of evidence of God's existence that drives a person's atheism, although that may be their claim, but it is their insistence on moral autonomy that they are answerable only to themselves. They assume this position of final authority, ignoring the evident contradictions and deceit in their own thought life and behavior. They lack moral sensibility. The evangelist Billy Sunday used to say that atheists can't find God for the same reason criminals can't find policemen. The second verse moves from practical atheism in particular to the human condition in general. The Apostle Paul quotes from these psalms in Romans chapter 3 as summaries of human depravity. Romans 3, verse 10, As it is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. The psalm ends in verses 5 and 6 with David's prayer for the promised Messiah who will save his people from their sins and restore them to function with a new nature that is joyfully submitted to the rule of God. And now our reading from Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness that we need to deliver us from death, which is the wages of our sin, is the righteous act of God accepting Jesus' offering of a perfectly righteous life on our behalf and is righteously satisfying God's justice that demands full payment for sin. This righteousness is a free gift that is accepted by faith. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, chapter 3, verses 21 to 25, Romans 6, verse 23, Romans 9, verse 30, and Romans 10, verse 6. Wealth, such as silver and gold, will be useless when you are called to give an account before the throne of God. Only the righteousness of the finished work of Christ on behalf of guilty sinners can put us in the right with an almighty, all-holy God. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let's pray together. Lord God, we have been reminded of the foolishness and fickleness of the human heart. Forgive us of our wayward thoughts and deeds. 
Thank you for the good news that your Son, Jesus, perfectly satisfied the demands of justice when He offered the full payment of our sin debt on the cross. We ask that you fill us with your Spirit and enable us to walk in the light of who you are and all that you have done on our behalf. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thanks for being with us today as we read through the Bible. And if you have any questions or comments, you can contact us at podcast at newlife.org. If you would like a written copy of this meditation, you can also subscribe to a daily email at newlife.org. Thank you and God bless you.